make your way to the seat. Good morning. My name is Pastor Griselda. I just want to welcome you here this morning and also to introduce Pastor Jared. He wants to come up here and just share a quick testimony of what God has been doing in his life. Amen. Isn't God good? Uh, my name is Jared, one of the uh, pastoral staff here. Uh, just got a, a testimony. Some of you know that my father was uh, uh, terminally ill in hospice, and uh, he passed away on Monday of uh, liver failure. And you, you would think I would be a little more somber, uh, you know, glum, grieving, and, and, and it's not like I don't have those feelings, but I'm, let me tell you about the joy of the Lord. Let me tell you about how he redeems and makes all things uh, work for our good. There's a lot I could say. God did so much in that time and, and did such a great thing in my heart and in my dad's heart and other people's hearts. And there's so much I could say, but I want to focus in on one thing, because at the end, he's, if he still died of cancer, then it wasn't really a good thing. But that death was not the end for my father. Amen. I had the opportunity to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, Pastor Berto, got to share with him the gospel. My wife shared with him the gospel. He got Jesus, 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 Jesus while he was in that hospice. But he had the opportunity to hear and respond to Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God has made it so simple that, that my father on his deathbed barely there from from the painkillers and the in the, the confusion that it, that comes from liver failure and everything else, that he could call on Jesus and be saved. Imagine if I told him something else, like, Dad, if you meditate really, really hard, you know, and if you study really, really hard, you might you might get it right. But he made it so simple because Jesus did it all, and so I'm so grateful. I have genuine joy and gladness. It's there's a, a, an eternal redemption for my dad's suffering, what happened. So I'm grateful today, amen. He makes all things work for our good. Let's just pray. Everybody stand up and worship Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Call on his name, Jesus. Jesus, you're beautiful. We love you. Hallelujah. We thank you for salvation this morning. We're grateful this morning. God, we have grateful hearts this morning. We have joy. I speak the joy of the Lord over this place. I break depression. We trade the, the spirit of heaviness for the garments of praise and the oil of joy. Lord, let it pour out on your people this morning. In Jesus' name. Come on, welcome to Metro Praise this morning. We're going to worship the Lord. This first song is going to be upbeat. So you are welcome to come out of your seats. You are welcome to dance, to do whatever you need to do. But we are going to worship Jesus Christ this morning. Amen. Oh, sing it. I was lost with a broken heart. You picked me up and now I'm set apart. From the ash I was born again. Forever safe in the Savior's hand. You are more than my words can say. I follow you, love for all my days. I fix my eyes, follow yours. Forever free, okay? Oh, sing it out. Because you are, you are, you are my freedom. We lift you higher, lift you higher. Your love 
your love never ending flow, oh, oh, you are alive in us, nothing can take your place, you are all we need, your love has set us free, whoa, whoa. In the midst of the darkest night, let your love be the shining light, breaking chains that were holding me. You set your sun down to set me free. Everything of this world will fade. I'm pressing on till I see your face. I believe that you will be done. Come sing it. I won't stop till your kingdom comes Because you are, you are, you are my freedom We lift you higher, lift you higher Your love, your love, your love never ending Oh, 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 sing it You are alive in us Nothing can take your place You are all we your love has set us free. You are alive in us. Nothing can take your place. You are all we need. Your love has set us free. Whoa, whoa. Yes, Because you are. Because you are. You are. You are my freedom. Declare. We lift you higher, lift you higher. Your love, your love, your love, never ending. Oh, 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 you are alive in us. Nothing can take your place. You are all we need. Your love has set us free. Sing on what's up. You are alive. You are all we need. Your love has set us free. Come lift up a shout of praise. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hey. Come give praise. Come on.
Christmas season, come on. Let's get back to the meaning. He's the reason for the season, amen. God, in the midst of what the world and our culture celebrates, Santa Claus and the giving of gifts, Father, you gave us the greatest gift in your son, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we'd still be in our sin. So let's take back this holiday season, come on, for Jesus. Right now, in your own words, we just give him adoration and praying and saying, he's the reason, he's the reason why we get up and celebrate. He's the reason why we come together and gather this morning and sing songs. He's the reason, Jesus Christ, come on. You are oh, so like you.
Let's worship Him in the Spirit. Kitara baso, kira ba 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 se anabaso. Go lift your voice, lift your voice, lift your voice to heaven. Lift your voice to heaven. Yeah. Oh, share a word this morning with the body, you may do so at this time.
Come on, let's respond to that word right now. Examine your heart right now and ask the Lord for forgiveness if that is you. If that is a word for you, if you feel the Holy Spirit pressing on your heart right now, ask the Lord for forgiveness. He is our strength when we are weak. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will give you strength in the things that you think you cannot overcome. Today is the day to lay it down at his feet. Tell him no more compromise, no more turning around, no more looking backwards. I'm going to go forward, Jesus, because you say I can, because you say I never leave you and I'll never forsake you, because you say that you have, you will take me by the hand and you will lead me be, be quiet, beside quiet waters. else has a word right now go ahead and share You know, what, what she's saying is reminiscent of, of Jesus in the Bible. And, he, and Jesus said to one of the churches, he says, you have left your first love. Some people misquote it and say you lost your first love. In other words, you love Jesus. You got saved and your life was changed and you were madly in love with Jesus and you were zealous to do the things of God and then you fell off, right? And he doesn't say... You lost your, your you lost your first love like you misplaced it like he's he says you left it he says it was your doing you're the cause of losing your first love sometimes it's what Jesus called the cares of this life the deceitfulness of wealth everybody take a inventory right now what has gotten in the way what is eating up your prayer life what is eating up your worship? You don't worship God like you used to. You don't witness like you used to. He says repent and do the things you did at first. Take an inventory. What's getting in the way? Surrender it to Jesus. Take a few moments. Take a few moments.
it and you could just, you know, be mouthing it, but I want you to mean it in your heart. Amen. It's not just repeat this with me. Let this be your prayer. Amen. To Jesus, to your Lord, to to your master, to your God and Father, to your very best friend. Let it be the cry of your heart this morning. Everyone say, Jesus, I surrender all. All the cares of this world and everything it has to offer. I want you more. I love you more than my life. Just be with me to the end of the age like you promised. And that's enough. Hallelujah. And praise Him. And praise Him. And love Him. And love Him. And praise Him. We love you, Jesus. It's enough that we know you. It's enough that we love you. We don't need money. We don't need extra stuff, Lord. We just need you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we bless you, Jesus. You may all be seated at this moment. Let that be real in your heart. If you pray that in your heart, something's going to change, amen, when you go home. That's always the point of church, by the way, is you, is you go home from church and something's different in your life, amen. Something's different in your walk. That's how you know you went to church, amen. And, and, uh, and what should be different? Something's laid down. Something's different. God is, is a greater priority. Jesus is bigger in your life than he was before. Thank you, Jesus. My name is uh, uh, Pastor Jared. I was just up here, so you get some more of me this morning. All right. Uh, I want to. I, I had a plan. All right. My plan was to get a Santa suit because it's the Christmas season, right? To get a Santa suit, and Pastor Berto was going to be my reindeer, but he's not here this morning. And Seth, where Seth was going to be my elf, and he was going to bring a bag of goodies all the good girls and boys. That was that was plan A. Some churches are doing that this time of year. But uh, Berto's not here and my suit's at the cleaner. So plan B, I preach the gospel to you. Amen. I preach the life-saving, life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And it is a Christmassy message. If we could get to that text in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, you all know the nativity story. The nativity is not just a plastic display on your front lawn. The nativity is the most, one of the most important events in history. It's the birth of our Savior, of our God, into the world. And uh, we're here in the text, and an angel has appeared to Joseph concerning Mary, because Mary's pregnant, but she's a virgin. And he's assuring Joseph, he says, listen, don't go up beating Tyrone. You know, that's, this is of God, okay? She, she hasn't been messing around on you, man. This is of God, and this child in her womb is a special child, amen? And this is what the angel says about this child. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Someone say that name, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
there's three important truths we can learn from this. Number one, Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's in his name. The name Jesus is, is transliterated from Yeshua, which is a Hebrew name. Jesus was Jewish, remember? So Yeshua means the Lord saves or the Lord is Savior or the Lord is salvation. So Jesus' name is Savior. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just an exceptionally good moral man. He is the Savior. Another place in the Bible says he's the Savior of the world. Now here's the thing about saving. If you could save yourself, you wouldn't need saving. If you were drowning and you could get out of the water, you wouldn't need someone to save you. Amen. So it's rescuing. Someone else has to do it for you to get you out of the danger, to get you out of the trouble. And he says he's the Savior of the world. So apparently, everybody in the world needs saving. Saving from what, you ask? That's the second truth. He saves from sin. More specifically, he saves from sin and not from hell. Now that's, hear me. If you were to ask the average Joe on the street, they ask, what, is, what, what does Jesus save us from? They say, well, Jesus saves us from hell. He stamps our ticket to heaven. St. Peter lets us in the pearly gates, and we go to heaven, not to hell. Jesus saves us from hell. Not quite so. Jesus doesn't save you from hell. He saves you from the things that take you to hell. He saves you from your sins those evil actions and behaviors that defy God. And everyone has their own sins. Everybody's got their own flavor of sin. The Bible says we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all turned our back on God in one way, shape, or form. And even if we're a religious goody two-shoes, even in that self-righteous pride, we have sinned. So everybody's got a sin issue, and they can't save themselves from it. It's important to note that Jesus saves us from sin and not just hell because nobody in their right mind wants to go to hell. I mean, you hear people sometimes like, I'm going to hell, you know, nonchalant, or, or they're like, man, if God doesn't want me in heaven, I'll go to hell anyway. Anybody ever heard that? I've heard it. Those people don't believe in hell. If you believed in a lake of fire, a bottomless pit, a place of madness, a place of sorrow, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth without end. Think about it. You can be in hell a billion years and you'll still be no closer to the end than when you started. A billion years in hell is just the beginning. It goes on and on and on forever. It never ends. Nobody wants to go there. The problem is not a lot of people either want to break it off with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Not a lot of people want to stop cussing. Not a lot of people want to throw out their trashy records. Not a lot of people you know, want to drop their pride and their self-pity, their sin, you see? Nobody wants to go to hell, but nobody wants to stop sinning either. That's the problem. Here's the thing. If you embrace sin, if you just say, I'm going to live a lifestyle of sin, whatever it may be, because we've all got our flavor, right? If you choose to embrace a lifestyle of sin, prepare with it to embrace death and hell. Because it's a package deal. The wages of sin is death. And if you choose to embrace a life of sin, you will never embrace a life with Christ because they're mutually exclusive. So he says he'll save you from your sin that, and, and, and not from hell. That's the second thing. And the third thing is just the emphasis on saving you from sin. This is good news. Some of you have a guilty conscience. Some of you, whatever you've tried, different methods and things in the past to, you know, get over your problems and become a better person and drop your bad habits, and they've not worked. I'm telling you, there's a Savior, amen? He will save you from your sin. It's not just like, hey, bro, stop sinning. Like, bro, it's hard. Like, I get it. That's why I'm going to save you from your sin. He didn't just give you ten more commandments because you broke the first ten, right? He 
didn't just give you rules and regulations. He's going to save you from your sin. And for those of us that use it as an excuse, they say, well, this is just the way I'm always going to be. You don't have an excuse. Because there is a Savior who through His death and resurrection gives us the power of heaven to overcome sin, to have our sin forgiven, and to live a God-filled life. Nobody on planet Earth has an excuse to live a lifestyle of sin anymore. Because Jesus promised to save us from it. Here's, here's, Here's something to take away. I gave you a lot to think about. Here's the application. You say, man, I'm living in sin today. And I need a Savior. Here's what you do. You repent of your sin. You confess your sin to God with the intention of changing. Like, God, I'm confessing my sin. I'm confessing sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm confessing X, Y, and Z. And I don't want to do it anymore. Change me. See, that's with the intention to change. Not just to do it again. Not just to, you know, get, get your ticket stamped. But to really change. And then you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that he's the son of God. Believe that he was born of a virgin, as this text tells us. Believe that he died for your sins on the cross. Believe that he raised on the third day. Believe that he's coming again. And believe that he can save you from your sin. And we're going to have prayer workers, Chris and Monique. If you're still not sure about how to go about that, they'll help you. They'll assist you. If you want to just be closer to Jesus as his disciple, they'll help you with that too after our fellowship. Let's stand up. We're going to recite our confession of faith. We have this in a handout form, something you can take home with you, our confession of faith. And if you want one, just raise your hand. We have ushers going around and passing those out. So if you want a confession of faith, a handout of what we're about to read, you can get one. Any hands up? I don't see any. Okay, we got one over here, Brother Dell. Can someone get him a confession? Thank you. We're going to read this together on the count of three. Amen. This is a reflection of what we believe, of what we believe in our heart of hearts. This is our worldview, which we've been talking about. We stake everything on this, amen? So let's say this together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death burial and resurrection and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus I believe in the united church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. We're going to fellowship. Go meet someone you haven't met yet. Tell them you love them.
Metro Praise International. It is so good to see everybody here this morning praising the Lord. I feel the excitement in the air. If you're a first-time visitor here, if you receive this brochure, please fill out the bottom card. We welcome all of our first-time visitors. Just fill out that card and put it in the drop box. If you didn't receive one, the ushers can hand one to you. Welcome again to Metro Praise. Thank you for joining us for service this morning. Our services are every Sunday at 10 a.m., and then the other service we have throughout the week is on Fridays at 7 p.m. for our teenagers. Elevate. Come on. They're coming out strong, growing in the Lord, winning their friends for Jesus. Amen. 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 We have a special Christmas service next Sunday, the 22nd. So please invite your friends, invite your family. It's going to be called Wise Men Still Seek Him. And uh, it's going to be at our regular time, 10 o'clock, and we have a special presentation from our children. So please come on out strong, invite your friends and family, like I said, and let's just celebrate Jesus together. Amen. Like how we always do every Sunday. It doesn't change for us. Christmas, New Year's, Easter, it's all the same. We come to church on Sunday because we love the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Our vision here is simple. It's loving God and loving people. We strive to do that with everything inside of us, and we invite you to do that with us. Amen? So that is our vision. Our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to Jesus through our life groups. Let me say life groups. On the back of your handouts is our life group schedule. Please take a look at it. See how we've divided the life groups by age, by category, times and dates. And we're going to give you a snapshot of what's happening just this week here at Metro Praise International because we like for you to just kind of see, you know, just organize what's happening. There's a lot going on. And so just find something to do this week because you can never be bored when you're a part of MPI. You can never be alone. There's always friends. There's always leaders that are there to hang out with you. So today, Sunday, is our marriage life group. Come on, married folk, make some noise. 4 p.m., you know you're going to love being out in this weather. You know it. So they are going to Zoo Lights today at Brookfield Zoo. Please meet at Ricky and Rachel Rivera's house at 4 p.m. Ricky, just wave your hand back there. That is your man for the day. So if you are married, talk to him for his information if you're new and you're married and you want to go. And then uh, later on in the evening at 5 p.m., we have our Encounter Life group. Come seek the Lord and worship and prayer. Wednesday is our King's Kids Life Group, and this Wednesday is actually our family fun night. So come on out strong. We're going to have some food, some games, probably movies. It's just going to be a fun night. So if you want to enjoy this season with your children, come on out and join us at 630. And then Friday, our adult life group at Pastor Griselda and Berto's house. Every Friday at 7 p.m., they're meeting this week. And then Saturday, our Elevate Life Group. Come on, elevators, make some noise. They're going to go ice skating, okay? So if you are from the ages of 11 to 18, you got to go. Meet at the church at 12 p.m., and you guys are just going to have a fun time on Saturday. And as well, Saturday, our Evangelism Life Group is meeting at 5 p.m. here. They're going to preach the gospel on the streets and win souls for Jesus. Who's excited about that? Come on, lots to be thankful for at Metro Praise. And then we want to send you out. Oh, we want to mentor you. Sorry, we forgot the mentor part. We want to mentor you. 101 book. We have leaders that are going to take you through this. Welcome to your new life. And then 201, we want to mentor you to be a, uh, a leader in the church. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism on the streets. 
to preach the gospel to your friends and family. And then our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples. Come on, 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do that, say amen. Because we believe we can do it. We say it week after week. And the Bible says, you know, speak with your mouth, declare with your mouth what you want to see. And that's why we say this vision. We say the discipleship strategy. We speak this goal. We speak it into the air because we believe that God has the power to do this. Amen. And we want all the disciples to be a part of that. Come on. Who's excited to give this morning? It is time for tithes and offerings. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 24.1. We believe here at MPI that uh, your tithe is 10% of your total income, and an offering is above that, an amount just between you and the Lord, whatever he puts on your heart, to give above your tithe. And we designate that here at MPI according to building fund and mission. So we have a heart for the mission field. And so if you turn with me to Psalm 24, 1, let's read this together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Somebody say everything. The world and all who live in it. I picked this passage of scripture because I wanted to put into perspective what God is asking and requiring of us. See, the Lord belongs to him. Everything in this world, the world belongs to the Lord. Our lives belong to him. And what an honor, what an honor it is for us to be able to serve with him. The Bible says that Jesus calls us his co-laborers. And he owns everything that we have. Everything we have is because of Jesus and his goodness to our life. And he, all he asks is 10% of our income. He owns our time. He owns all the, all the trees and the forests and all the animals in this world. And for us, he says, give me all of your life and give me 10% of your finances. And let's rock this world for my name. Amen. The Bible says that we, that we should pray for his kingdom to come to this earth. And when we're faithful in our finances as believers, believers who, who say, I surrender everything to God. We, I'll give you 10%. God, I'm not going to rob you. I'm not going to be disobedient to you. We can see God's kingdom come to this earth because we want revival for revolution. Amen. And it's going to happen with our finances too. So who's excited to give this morning? Come on and make some noise as Ricky Rivera comes on up and uh, just announces the Philippines 2014 missions trip. God is doing awesome things and he's going to give us the news. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, just throwing it out there, I have free tickets to Brookfield Zoo, so if you're married, really come on out. Uh, anyways, my name is Ricky. Uh, <clears throat> I'm one of the leaders here and part of the financial committee. And I just want to remind you and encourage you to pray. Pray for uh, this mission trip that we're going to take to the Philippines uh, next December, so uh, a year from now. Um, our goal is to raise up $20,000, okay? Now, that might seem like a lot, but if you think about it, we're going to raise it throughout a 12-month period. And if everybody does their part, there's no reason why we couldn't raise that up. It should be pretty easy. As, a, as an example, there's about maybe 100 of us here. If half of us, 50, would just give $50 a month, we could raise up $30,000. Amen? And let's raise up $30,000. But the goal is $20,000. Nothing's going to go to waste, man. We really just want to go out there and be a blessing. Some of the stuff that's going to go to is uh, we're going to want to pass out Bibles. We want to feed the homeless. We're going to do relief work. Uh, just uh, outreaches, just a lot of things that we want to do. We want to work with the churches out there. We already have connections out there. They're excited for us to come. And so um, I've been on there uh, maybe two, three years ago. Man, beautiful place, awesome people, the most generous, most humble, and hospital people you'll ever meet. 
generous, man. You know, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of poverty there, though. And unfortunately, they're going through a hard time, not because of the hurricane. But, man, in the midst of all that, they are, you know, they're, they're generous. They're hospitable. And that challenges me because here we have so much. I mean, sometimes, we, you know, we could complain and struggle and, you know, think that we don't have enough. But, man, compared to the world, we are rich. We have so much. And, you know, just being with those people out there uh, in the Philippines, when I went to India a couple years ago, you see how generous they are. They have so little. But when we go, there's like, man, they'll give you their best. They'll give it, they'll give it to you because that's the type of people they are. So let that challenge you to, uh, when you're thinking about this, to give your best to God, okay? Give your best uh, to this mission uh, trip because the Bible does say, I'm par- paraphrasing, if you're cheap with God, he's going to cheap, be cheap with you. But if you're generous with God, he's going to be generous with you. It's very simple, amen? And so we want to raise up $20,000. We've, uh, you know, again, going uh, over there a couple years ago, uh, I had, uh, had the opportunity to uh, go to a, a couple churches. And, man, they love God. They love God, man. You could tell they're serious about this. And so we just want to go out there. We want to be a blessing to them. We want to supply them with the things that uh, they need. But more than that, those are temporary things, which is good, you know, food, uh, uh, you know, just uh, being, uh, bringing medication, whatever it is that they need. We want to bring them the word of God, okay? Uh, there's still a lot of people that need Jesus out there. And so we want to be an encouragement to them. We want to encourage them with the word of God. We want to bring them hope. Uh, we want to bring the peace and joy that only the Father can give, amen? And so it's an awesome opportunity that a church like us, man, in the middle of diversity and long, in the corner right here in Chicago, we could go across the world and be a blessing to this nation, amen? That's an awesome opportunity and a privilege, amen? So what we want everyone to do is three things, actually, uh, the three Ps. Uh, first is uh, pray, okay? Pray. Be honest with God. Pray and ask God what amount should I give to this? Some of you might be $5, maybe for younger kids, okay? Adults who have full-time jobs, it might be a little on the low end. You know I mean? Let's be serious here. We want to be generous with God. But so for some of you, it might be $50, $100. For some of you, it might be sacrificial. But ask God. Be honest with God. Just, God, what do you want me to give to this for the next 12 months? Amen? And so when you pray, and I believe God's going to answer you, uh, when you have that amount, the next thing is you pledge that amount between you and the Lord. Amen. We're not asking for pledge cards. We don't know what that amount is. That's between you and the Lord. But let me remind you of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, okay? Be honest. <laughs> Acts chapter 5. Go read it when you go home. Be honest with the Lord. Amen. So whatever that amount is, you're going to pledge. You're going to make a covenant. You're going to say, okay, God, starting January next month, I'm going to give this amount every month until December. Amen. And then when that happens, third thing you provide right you start giving that money amen and the beautiful thing is that god doesn't need your money but what he does want is you to be obedient he wants you to be faithful with what he's given you amen and that amount that he's put in your heart so provide that so in envelope we have the offering envelope you just circle missions and just uh give that uh for the next 12 months so that we can reach that goal of twenty thousand dollars or more nothing's going to go to waste we're going to do a lot of great things out there amen awesome so just uh we're going to pray right now uh, that God would meet this uh, goal, and that uh, he would use us to do that, and that God, uh, let's pray for the Philippines, because they need our prayers, amen, always uh, keep them in prayer, amen, so let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, Father, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity, oh God, that you've given us to uh, go across the world to the nation of the Philippines, Lord, and just be a blessing to them, oh God, thank you for using a, ch- a church like us to do that, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would uh, uh, 
be able to raise up this $20,000, oh God. And we ask you for it, Lord, for you want to use us to do that, oh God. So, Lord, I pray, God, that as we, um, obe- we're obedient and we ask you, oh God, what amount you want to give to us, Lord, that you would speak that amount to us, oh God. And I pray that we will be obedient disciples, oh God, that we'll be faithful, Lord, to that amount, Lord, and that we could do all do our part, God, to raise up this uh, these finances, oh God, so that we can go out there, Lord, and do great things for you, oh God, so that you can receive all the glory and all the honor, oh God. And, Lord, we pray for the Philippines, God, that you would be with them, oh, oh Lord, uh, that, Lord, you would make them resilient, oh God that you would make them overcomers, oh God, more than conquerors, oh God, during this time, oh Lord. Provide the things that they need, oh Lord, so that, Lord, they could come out on top, Lord. Just give them hope, oh God. Give them peace. Give them joy, oh God, that they will look towards you for help. They'll look towards you for strength, oh God, and guidance, oh Lord, direction, oh Lord. Be with them, oh God. Help them, Lord, during this time. We thank you again for this nation, Lord. Bless them, Lord, souls, that souls would come to you, that you would help the churches out there, Lord. Strengthen them so that they could do their part, oh God, in reaching out to their uh, uh, countrymen, oh Lord. And so we thank you for this opportunity again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord this morning. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning together. And just a reminder, you know, this month, we're taking the month of December to present this to you and to give you the time to seek the Lord and pray and make your pledges. If you want to give this this month, that's fine. We shall receive. But we're presenting this to you. This will begin in January for you to start giving and being faithful to your pledge. Amen. Let's uh, recite this verse together out loud. Luke 6:38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your salvation. And right now, Lord, we come ready to give you thanks, God, through our giving. I pray that this will be a sweet aroma to you, that you will be honored and pleased with this sacrifice. And we just thank you, God, for meeting our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And all that we need this month at Metro Praise in our budget, we know that you are going to do it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please come forward as you give. And how many excited for Jesus? Let me get a woo woo. Come on. Amen. Isn't it great to be in the house of God? I want to give a testimony about this Philippines mission trip. And I'm going to try not to cry. And I'm like, serious, because if I cry, I won't be able to talk, okay? Because I'm a crier, and it's just like it's messy when I cry. And I can't talk. I have to breathe and all that. But, like, this is for real, for real. This is for real. Okay. 
we were putting this up and we're saying, oh, God, I'm already about ready to cry. Help me, Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, I love the missions. I love missions. Okay, so we put this up, and my wife and I, the church takes good care of us. And you're going to hear about it in January, how the Lord provides for us. We receive a housing allowance, and then we receive just a minimal amount of, uh, you know, of a cash a check, you know, to live off of, which is, you know, right around twelve, thirteen hundred a month. But the church takes care of our, our housing. So I was saying to the Lord, I was like, God, I want to give. I want to give. I just, I don't know how we're going to do it. And I just started praying. And I'm like, God, I want to give $50 a month to this. And over the last weekend, someone blessed me with some money, like a couple thousand dollars. They were just like, we want to bless you. We want to bless your family. You understand what I'm saying? And, and you, may, you may say that doesn't happen to me, but, but you could get a raise. You could get a promotion. See, you just don't know what's happening while you're praying. And so the Lord, the Lord gave this to us. And you know what the first thing the Lord told me to do? Take 50 times 12 and give it in the offering. Give it in the offering. And so I just, I, you know, the Bible says, you know, not to boast about your giving, but I just want to encourage some of you. I've already given the pledge for the year, and it's December, and I didn't have anything. Listen to me, nothing when this thing first started. So will anybody's faith just be increased with me this year? Because I know, I know that God is going to give me more to give to missions. What I think God was just telling me is, son, dream big. Dream big. And, and so I just want to encourage you. You don't know where that promotion is. You don't know that you'll be able to sell that new car or get that cash back on that house you're getting or a new job. You don't know what your future holds. Just put it out there and pray. What harm will it be to pray to ask God to do it? Because he can. Because he cares about the Philippines. Amen? I didn't cry and I'm all right. Uh, Pastor K and uh, Pastor uh, Brother K and M, who's leading our Filipino trip, they have some friends with them here today that are actually doing mission work, holding down a job in the Middle East and India. And I want them to come and share their testimony. So will you guys come? Let's clap as they come. Welcome them to Chicago. I think the wife is going to speak. Maybe just tell us your names, how you, uh, you know, you got saved, where you're at right now, what you're doing for Jesus. We are um, fellow um, fellow ministers in uh, for the Lord in Saudi Arabia. My husband is uh, the pastor, uh, Pastor Ding, uh, short for Nimrod, and I am Mary Ann. Um, uh, we we have been in Saudi Arabia for the past twenty years. So to shorten that twenty years testimony to two minutes, it's really a challenge. Okay, so we have been in Saudi Arabia for the past twenty years, and you know most of the Filipinos go to Saudi Arabia thinking that it's because just to earn enough money to send siblings to school or children to school or to build their own house. But you know Saudi Arabia is such a fertile land because we did not just receive financial blessing there, but spiritual blessing most especially. Many people left Saudi, many Filipino contract workers left Saudi Arabia, uh, not with, not with uh, a title of a house uh, on their hand, but with, this, with, with God in their lives and in their families. And come to think of it, uh, the influence that they have to, to their families because they are the breadwinners of their families back home in the Philippines. And the people that we minister, maybe some, uh, we were introduced first as missionaries. Maybe some of you were thinking that we are ministering to the Saudis, to the Muslim. But somehow we are doing the same 
because we are ministering to the Saudis through the testimonies of our Christian life. And we are ministering mainly to fellow Filipino contract workers. We have a church there, the name of our church is Psalms 23. Um, Psalms 23 and my husband pastors two sectors or two outreaches of that church. And there are so many fellowships there considering that it's a restricted country. And we are based in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. So Riyadh, Saudi Arabia is the street, yes, unlike the port cities of Jeddah and uh, Al-Kobar. So, um, for the past 20 years, God has been so good to us. Uh, God has shown us that, you know, when we went there, especially me, when I went there, I have this big American or Canadian dream that uh, Saudi Arabia will just be my stepping stone. But then I said, I will just be here for two years, and then afterwards, for sure, I will migrate to Canada. But God said, no, that is not my plan for you. Stay there uh, until I said so. And even when me and my husband got married, we said to the Lord, uh, we have been planning to migrate to Canada, but then until such time, God has touched our heart said, stay there because I have a plan for you there. I have a mission for you there. And me and my husband said, Lord, uh, we will not leave this place if you are not with us. As God has said, as Moses have said to, to the Lord. So we have been there for 20 years. Uh, would you believe that we our, our worship hall is only like maybe one-sixth of this place, but we can accommodate 80 believers worshiping God with a full band. Amen. Loudly. And our... And, uh, yes, it's soundproof. And would you believe also... Yeah. And would you believe also that our worship... Uh, our, our, house, our faith house is just in front of a mosque. Amen. But... Uh, but our um, the believers there, you know, uh, the members, uh, they they brave, you know. What if they will be noticed? They it doesn't matter to them because they know they have find God. They have find the true blessing in that place and in any place where God had put them to put believers together to worship Him, to fellowship with Him. Uh, worship service is not just um, a place wherein we meet together. It's also a place wherein we find family and belongingness and healing and deliverance, amen, and comfort. You know, um, unlike people, unlike migrant workers who came here, they usually have gainful jobs. But there in Saudi Arabia, not all have the same, uh, the same fate. Some of them does not receive their salary for the past four months, and their salary is just $250 a month. But then when they come to church, they have come to know that God is their hope and God is the greatest provider. And that is more than enough for us to continuously minister in that place. And uh, just short, because I am so blessed that it is in this time that, uh, <laughs> in, that in this time that a pastor is, uh, you know, speaking about these pledges. Uh, by the way, also, just, just one more thing. Saudi, the, the king declared in Saudi Arabia that we can worship in the privacy of our own homes. Therefore, hallelujah, we thank all of you who have mentioned Saudi Arabia. You know, in your prayers, uh, God has answered your prayers. We are less persecuted there, but actually we are somehow recognized even by the employers. They sometimes give a certain part of the, the accommodation. You come here, do your worship here because they acknowledge that we're not doing anything that is beyond, you know, what, what will uh, 
that will hurt the country, but you are doing something that will bless their country. They actually sometimes call us to pray for them. And so, uh, <laughs> yes, because 20 years to 2 minutes is okay. I, I, I see that. Uh, I just want to encourage you because I remember there was one who have, uh, there is one church in the Philippines, no? and it is one of the fast-growing church in the Philippines. Uh, the name is Vic, uh, Victory Church. Um, the Victory Church, they, uh, we were, um, the speaker, uh, there was a speaker, a pastor there who spoke in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we got many of them, many of those opportunities now in Saudi Arabia. And uh, he was telling us about the missions. He said that when, when the fans of their, when they were maybe barely starting or they have started, when the fans of their church is just only a couple of thousand pesos, they, uh, they heard this message that um, God blesses not the land where they harvest, but it is the sower that they bless. That's why many of you missionaries are so blessed. People here in, in, in the States are so blessed because you are the one who sow. You are the one who received the harvest. So they said that, let's do this. Let us give to missions, even though we have compost. They, they did a sacrificial giving. And you know what? That church grew because, you know, God has bring forth celebrities, actors, senators, congressmen to the church, and it grew. And still, they are so faithful to mission. So I cannot imagine, brothers and sisters, the people that God will bring to you, the blessing that God will bring to you. You said it's 100,000 pastor, I know it will be more. You said it's 20,000 or 30,000 at the end of 2014. I declare and I decree, pastor, that it will be much more than that, double than that. But by 2000, 2015, you can still do another mission, even at the beginning of 2015. Because it can be 60,000, pastor. It could be 50,000 or 100,000. Because you have a heart for a mission. Hallelujah. A personal testimony, brothers and sisters. My husband and I, the mission that we have is, you know, it's hard to start churches there. But there was this one small church that uh, they joined the pastor. The wife, pastor and the wife joined our church. He said, but we have this, uh, we have this uh, plan to start the church, to, to have an outreach of the church where, we, where my mother is pastoring. So we give to the, uh, said, okay, just join us. And when you're ready, and then we give them, uh, when they said we're ready, we gave a love gift uh, for chairs and for the multimedia and for the drums. And that church grew. And, you know, afterwards, uh, they, um, a cop, uh, um, some, work, uh, some Western uh, uh, American, African were connected to them. And, that, uh, and they started also another church. And from that, you know, if you will visit Victory, uh, not Victory Church, Grace Outreach Ministry in Riyadh, their website, they specifically say that we are a church in Saudi Arabia. That they were so bold and they are a big church now. I believe that mission is like a stone that you throw in the water, that there is a ripple effect. You do not get a second circle the same size, but you get more bigger and bigger circles. And that will happen to your church, brothers. Thank you very much. Sorry for the overtime, but I just want to encourage you. <laughs>
Just a very quick one. Now the pastor loves to share the words of God. My wife as a secretary who talks about so many things. Okay. Just a very quick one. I am so blessed today because God has given us the privilege to worship you, to worship our living God with you guys. So it's really a privilege that we thank uh, M and K for inviting us in this church. You know, I believe, uh, deep in my heart, I believe that we're serving the same God. We're sharing the same vision, the same faith, not the same, I think, the same mission. But the thing, uh, the only difference is we are uh, serving in a different uh, environment. No, we're privileged because uh, our church, we, we can open the, the, uh, the gates, widely open people. We can invite them there outside. But in our place, it's different because, you know, we, we, we really make it sure that there is a guard in our doors. There is a security because any time that we are worshiping, there might be the, this police authority that will interrupt you. No, so sometimes people are not that uh, free to worship God because they have this fear. So this church has the privilege to worship God with all of their hearts. Now, we have the full band, but I, as we have told you before, our churches have this full uh, soundproof because we don't want to distract our neighbors because our neighbors are Saudis. They are Muslims. And any time they will caught up what are this building are doing, they might report us to the police. So, privilege for us to really share the words of God there. We can share the words of God by bringing just these uh, gadgets. We have the cell phone. Put the words of God there, but not here that we can bring them the Bible. Openly bring them the Bible and share the words of God. So, this is the thing we have there. And I'm so blessed. Yesterday, because I was with this Pastor Jared and this group of people who minister in this uh, abortion. We're so blessed because there are so brave ministers who came there and just minister for this, you know, hopeless people. No, they are very determined to kill their, their, their kids. And, you know, it's where the, the ice snow is there. It's very cold, actually. And we, this is our first time. Wow, first we are excited to, 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 to be with them, to observe what these people are doing here. No, but uh, we're almost frozen, like uh, standing there for two hours, for three hours. But what God amazed me is their determination. And what makes me more blessed today when I come to know that Pastor Jared's father is dead, died, and he don't care. Let the dead bury about that. I'm here focused. With these people who are still alive, parents who are determined to kill their children, I want to rescue them. Wow! I honor them, really. And, you know, when I was there, like as I just observed them, I was just, you know, Lord, what, what shall I do? In this? So what I did just to declare blessing, declare life instead of death. So I just said, Lord, there will, let there will be so much life in this place. Lord, and there was this little lady who would say, no, I don't believe in Jesus. This, the, the one of the, the abortion, there was one who was guarding there. He said, no, I don't care about Jesus. I, I decree. I decree and I declare that one of these days, you will be a member of MPI. Yeah. And when I look at the name of the building, oh, 
one of these days, that name will be replaced in PI. So maybe, Pastor, your, your, your vision is 50 churches. We'll just keep on praying that that place, it will be one. It will change that building from killing people to giving life to people. Wow! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And one last thing. No, when, just one last thing. That makes me work. No, because I was thinking, Lord, when I look at them as a very determined person, I am praying and I was so blessed. And this, I will bring this message to them that as, as, as I'm blessed to them, I will speak that we will do this for the glory of God because of God's instruction, not because of our emotion. Otherwise, Pastor Jared will fail if he brings his emotion there. So glory to God. Amen. Could we uh, pray for you guys? Let's all stand to our feet. Let's all stand to our feet. Could you guys come back, please? We just want to pray for you. We want to do a small part, a small part in uh, what God is doing uh, in the Philippines. Maybe would you just stand there and hold hands and face me. And some of the elders, Chris and Vanessa, would others just come and lay hands on them? Amen. And I know that there is, uh, and, and before we pray, I just want to speak to you because uh, I do a lot of work with Muslims in Pakistan, different places. We understand the sensitivity. Uh, but we're just going to pray for wisdom uh, to how to do that because God has a light there for the Muslim. Amen. I know there's probably uh, anti-conversion laws where they're not allowed to be, con you can't engage a Muslim in his religion there. Yeah, but uh, we're just going to believe God for that and then for these Filipino workers. Amen. Father, we thank you for this beautiful couple that has a missionary heart. Lord, they're there working, but they're using that workplace, God, to share your message. Having two congregations under their care, God. And Lord, people are coming to them and receiving life. And Lord, now we ask that this will be a testimony also to the Muslims in that area. That they will see that Esau is the son of of God, that Jesus is the Son of the Father, the Savior of the world. God, we pray that they'll have wisdom on how to share that gospel, and that, Lord, you'll give dreams and visions to their Muslim co-workers and friends and all those they know in that community, and they'll see signs and wonders so that the Muslims will come to Christ, the Filipinos will come to Christ, and that Saudi Arabia will be won over for Jesus, for the glory of God. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, shout hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah! Glory! Saudi Arabia for Jesus. Amen. And I just want to hug you and say, yes, we have been playing, praying for Saudi Arabia. We pray for the Muslim nations often, often here. Amen. I'm so happy for that. That was like a Christmas gift, wasn't it? Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Praise God. Oh, man, I needed that. Thank you both so much. And K&M are going to be sharing uh, uh, next week and the week after about our mission trip to the Philippines. So they're going to share their heart. But I love K&M because every time they tell me they have friends, their friends love Jesus and are doing things for God. Last time I met a pastor, he's planting churches all over the Philippines now in Saudi Arabia. K&M are radical. So hang out with them if you need to get on fire. We're in a series called Revival for Revolution. Everybody say that with me. Revival for Revolution. And I want you to see the text here, Matthew 6, 10. It's in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, 
hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we could continue to pray that prayer, but for the sake of time, I want you to look at that scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, is the key for this series. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We as a church are here to be a light on, on the hill and surrounded by darkness. So if you're in a dark place, you're right where you're supposed to be because God called you to be the light. So we are called to be a light in a dark place. Some of you might have asked yourself, why am I the only Christian in my family? You know, I have people going to church, but they're not really living for God. And now that I'm living for God, I feel like I'm all alone. You know why you feel like that? It's because God is wise in where he puts his light. When you go on a street like the block right here, Diversity, you don't see all hundred of the street lamps on diversity in one spot, do you? You see them spread out every block. So if you ask yourself, why does it feel like I'm the only one in my family trying to do this right? Because God planted you right there. He's like, I'm just going to put you in a place where nobody else knows me, where they take my name in vain, where they use my birthday to give each other gifts, and they fight at the family table. I'm going to put you there. Merry Christmas. So you can talk about me. You see, that's why God has us right here. Why is uh, Metro Praise International right here on Diversity and Long? Because we're called to reach this surrounding area. Do you know that when we go out to the high schools, we never are bumping into other churches. It's not like, oh, good to see you out here, so-and-so church. Oh, okay, so-and-so church, you take that corner. When we go out there, it's like that old Wild West film where the guy comes down the dirt road and it's like... And you just see the, the sage breasts, you know, just blow down the road, you know. What are these crazy guys doing out here? Why are they at Belmont and Clark? Why are they at Boricua Fest? Why is Metro Praise International at Schurz and Steinmetz and all of these different schools? Why are these people at the abortion clinic? Why? Because we want to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And he said that the battle we're fighting is not against flesh and blood. So we're not terrorists, we're not jihadists, we're not fighting a holy war, we're not arming ourselves to have a militia living on a commune and intermarrying our wives. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. We're not a cult. We're not fighting that kind of a battle. And even though we vote and we support politicians and good things in our city, it's not even of that. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but of powers and principalities and spiritual places. See, I understand that because I was that. When I was on drugs and I was full of violence and I was captured by a, a part of this world, you know, and I was hanging around with these kind of people that were in that mindset. Now, there's a lot of different mindsets, but as I was in this mindset, as Jared was saying before, the flavor of sin for me was smoking weed and listening to Cypress Hill and getting in fights, you know, drinking 40s, you know, not a 40, but a 40, you know, and Swisher Sweets and Blunts, you know. As we were hanging out doing that with our beanies real low and smoking weed and all of that, you know what? I understood at that point that what Jesus and what my parents were saying to me, I was against. 
I was not what I, I was not for what my parents were saying. I dropped out of high school. I left my home. I lived on my own. See, it was clear to me that as my parents had raised me, I was against. But when I got saved and Jesus came into my life, I immediately had a change of heart towards God's commands. No one had to tell me stop smoking weed. Why? Because my spiritual life had changed. It was literally like I was going from being blind to now I see. No one had to tell me stop hanging out with these kind of people because I now knew that my spirit had changed. So I can understand a spiritual battle out here, whether the flavor is homosexuality, the flavor is gangs, corporate greed downtown, political corruption, uh, just gossiping and slander. Whatever sinners are involved in right now, whatever flavor they're taking that the devil's dishing out to them, giving them the buffet of sin, which flavor do you want? What meal do you want? Are you a rib person? Are you all you can eat pizza person? Are you a pasta person? Are you a salad bar person? You know, when when the devil lays it all out there, people may be choosing different things, but they're coming in line with Satan and his kingdom. And here's the biggest deception that Satan wants to have with us, that he is not existing and that he doesn't really do this, that there, there is no God and that there is no Satan. So the biggest lie, as someone has said, is that the devil tells us that he doesn't exist. But there is a spiritual battle. There is a reason for wickedness in our city. Why is our own murders as high as they are? People may say, well, it's the schools. It's, it's you know, we don't have as good of uh, politics. But don't, but don't a lot of cities have bad schools? Aren't, you know, I used to live in the South. You know, in Atlanta, and I visited Atlanta, and I lived in New Orleans and Jacksonville and all these places. You know, they rank uh, some of the lowest quality of schools, but yet Chicago sometimes rates some of the highest. Uh, what's making the difference there? Why is Chicago the way it is? We well, see, I want to put on the table, it's not because of politics. It's not because of schools. It's because we're fighting a spiritual battle, and darkness is winning. People's mindsets are not valuing the foundations of God. They're valuing the foundations of little Wayne rappers on TV or sports musicians or whatever they're seeing. So there's the result of violence. But now we may say, what about corporate greed? Why do our governors keep getting arrested? Don't you know that we can have a governor without him getting arrested? But we have governors that keep getting arrested. Do you think that's kind of weird? Do you think that's kind of weird, like a governor getting arrested? Isn't that strange that, that when people think of Chicago politics, like when we're on the news and people are talking about, they say Chicago politics, isn't that something that we are, we are just related to corruption? Why do you think that is? There are other cities, you don't hear them talking about like Indianapolis politics. Yeah, the way it go down in Indianapolis, man, them dudes all corrupt in Indianapolis. You, I, I'm telling you, I grew up in Indiana. I'm not saying it's a better place. I'm just saying we never heard, like, Indianapolis politics, man. You know, it's run by the mafia. People are corrupt. You can't do anything there. But why does Chicago have that reputation? Darkness is winning. Now, the question that I want to ask you is what is going to change our world? What's going to change violence? What's going to change corruption? If your answer is anything other than God, I want to let you know right now you're going to fail. Okay, so let's just take, for example, we have a great illustration for this, great illustration. Obama, President Obama, came from Chicago, came from this city and that mentality, and everybody here at Grant Park, when he got voted in at 2008, was shouting, oh, I mean, he is our savior, Oprah Winfrey is crying, oh, I'm so happy, everybody was so happy, I mean, we thought 2008, I mean, we were just, jobs were going to come, economy was going to come, safety was going to come, since 2008, how's it been? 
How has it been, a fellow American? I mean, don't even look at me as a preacher, just as a guy talking to you as a friend. How has it been? So we see that what Chicago values, even on a national level, when you say, hey, you're a Chicago guy, you've been a part of this city, you know how to run things around you, you're just fitting right in as rain, you're right as rain, let's put you in charge of the nation. How has it worked? Are we better off or worse off? Are the poor better off or worse off? Is the middle class better off or worse off? The rich, it doesn't matter what tier you take it. Minorities better off or worse off? Immigration better off or worse off? Where are we today as a nation? Now, if it's not politics, what is the answer? See, I believe it's God. See, I actually believe, listen to me, you may think I'm cray-cray, but this is what I believe. You need to hear this. I actually believe what George Washington believed. I actually believe what Abraham Lincoln believed. I actually believe that when we take God's principles and apply them in our nation, that God's principles will work. That doesn't mean that we make God's principles everybody's principles. That doesn't mean we force our religion. But when George Washington said this Thanksgiving address and put it up there for me, it's in our notes, and uh, this is going to just be the introduction. Somebody say the introduction. And I really mean that because i got a preacher coming. I ain't even preaching today. Pastor Chris is preaching today. Give him a hand clap right now. This guy, man got his notes. He's ready. Because I want some of our preachers to take on some of the topics that we're dealing with in our culture. So I said, guys, you talk about things that's on your heart. And I'm not even going to give away his message. It's great. But I'm going to be closing with my introduction in just a moment. But look at what uh, George Washington said. Now, do you think George Washington knew something about America? Most of, us don't, most of us cannot trace our family heritage back to George Washington, right? Is anybody even in here able to trace back your American heritage to the time of George Washington, family tree or something? Okay, one person. God bless you. Let's give it up for the one true American in here. We love you. Family tree for me, three generations. Great-grandpa coming from Poland. Great-grandpa, other side, coming from Italy. So uh, at early 1900s, that's when my family came here. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. I'm glad I'm here. Amen. So, so this man knows more about it than I do, George Washington. So, so my family came here, one from Poland, one from Italy. They, they stay in their families, you know, Polish marrying Polish, until my mom and dad, Polish marries an Italian, and that's where you get me, Polish-Italian, right? And now I have to learn, man, why is America so messed up? Where did we come from? Where, where did we get? How did we get here? What happened to us? Is this how the nation was founded? Let's look at George Washington. It's all learned from him. Some of you remember from last week. Thanksgiving was started as a prayer time unto God, giving thanks to God. Did you even know that? Thanksgiving was meant to be a time we thank God. We weren't supposed to just thank each other. Like, hey, Rudy, you're so awesome. Thank you for being my friend. Well, thank you, Joe, for being my pastor. Well, thank you for wearing that pink shirt today, man. You're looking good. Thank you. No, I really mean that, leaving the little half beard right there. It's sexy. Thank you for being sexy like yourself. Are we supposed to just walk around and go, thank you, thank you, thank you for wearing boots, thank you for wearing boots? No. Thanksgiving was started to thank God. So the idea was, here's the idea, our founding president is like, hey, we're a nation now. We're independent from, uh, you know, the British. We're here now to set up our own ways and our own customs. Let's make a day where we thank God for our freedoms. George Washington, that we may then in unit, then may unite in most humbly offering our prayers in supplication to the great Lord and ruler of the nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions. Oh, 
I thought there was separation of church and state. Okay, well then we need to we need to find him. ACLU, you need to find him, and you need to get, you need you need to take him to court and teach him political correctness. No, separation of church and state meant that a pastor was not going to be your governor. You would have to elect me to be a governor, and then we would decide our laws. That's all it meant. But it didn't mean that I would ever stop being a pastor or that I would ever stop believing in God. Most of the people that signed the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, most of them had seminary degrees. Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, the Ivy League colleges, were all seminaries. So being a pastor, a seminarian-educated person, was considered an upright, outstanding person. Maybe we don't think of pastors that way or politicians that way, but seeing them join together was quite common back then. And here we see George Washington. He's saying, on this day of Thanksgiving, I want to ask God to forgive us. I want to ask God to forgive us. Okay, so let me ask you a question. When was the last time Mayor Rahm Emanuel said, hey, guys, let's take one day out the year and ask God to forgive us of the sins we've committed? Just me even saying that, does that blow your mind? Some of you are saying, I don't even want him to do that. He shouldn't even try to ask me to pray or repent. That's not his job, right? Some people would say that. They would say, man, that's not his job. His job isn't to ask me to pray. Okay, well, then go talk to George Washington. Could you imagine standing up that day going, George Washington, excuse me. I'm an atheist, and I don't believe in God. You're offending me right now. Do you know that Thomas Jefferson was pretty much an atheist and this did not offend him? Even atheists of that day were not offended by this because they were enlightened. And that means that they grounded their truth on a foundation. And they knew that a foundation of the Bible was equivalent at least to their relativism or to their intellectualism. That's why they wouldn't fight against taking that bedrock away. Today, atheists want to just remove the bedrock and say it doesn't even belong here. And who lived like that? Stalin lived like that. Where they say, we don't even want the bedrock of Christianity anywhere in our nation. That's another discussion. But keep reading. He says that we would offer these prayers, beseech and depart in our national and other transgressions, to enable us, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative proper, our duties properly and punctually. So do you guys see the point here? He understood that we should pray and ask God to help us do our duties privately and publicly. Go to that scripture, please, quickly. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is it wrong today for a mother to pray and say, Make me the best mother I can be? Isn't that a good thing? Is it wrong for a nurse, doctor, lawyer, teacher, carpenter to pray, God, make me the best at what I do? Isn't that what our first president asked us to do? And then to examine ourselves. Have I been an honest carpenter? Have I come to work on time, worked hard? Have I been an honest lawyer? Have I been an honest teacher? If I haven't, Lord, forgive me. Pardon my sin. See, that's the way he asked us to do it. Now look at these definitions as we get Pastor Chris ready to preach. What do we need in America? We need a spiritual revival. That means a Holy Spirit-inspired awakening and returning of the church to their first love for God and a self-sacrificing love for people that impacts the community with salvation and community transformation. Bottom line, a spiritual revival is we need the church to start acting like Jesus again. Okay? There's 70% here in Chicago and in America that say, I am a Christian. 
Majority of people killing their babies in abortion clinics say they are a Christian. The majority of people living in the homosexual lifestyle say they are a Christian. The majority of young people getting arrested for violence, and I look at the Chicago Tribune mugshots every single day. So you better not be on there, okay? Not every day, but once a week. I mean, I look at them. I make sure I'm always current. And I got pictures of people I'm praying for. I am dead serious. And I want you to listen to me. Majority of them, if you ask them, Christian, Muslim, atheist, Buddhist, what are you? What do you think most of them are going to check off? Christian. You go downtown right now to the, the buildings, to the politics, to the, to the courthouse. What are most people going to check off? Christian. But are they living like it? Are they obeying Christ's commands? Are they abstaining from drunkenness, sexual perversion? Are they abstaining from greed and dishonoring their neighbor and taking and stealing what doesn't belong to them? Are, are they abstaining from gossip and slander? Are they abstaining from violence and outrage and, and uh, these kinds of things that the Bible says is sin? No. So what do we need? We need to change, starting with us right here. Amen? Number two. What will happen then is a cultural revolution, the inward turning of a society's value system to the commands of God resulting in the forsaking of sin for the righteousness of God and the culture as a whole. The bottom line is revolution means to revolve. We are now where we are because we have turned our values from marriage. Right now they say for the first time there's going to be more young adult women that are living together, not being married, than are married. For the first time in our culture, there are more babies going to be born in hospitals that are being born to unwed mothers than there are being born to wed mothers. Just stop and think about that. Just right there, there has been a turning of our culture. And all of you here who grew up in a family without your birth, mom, and dad, how did that affect you? How did that affect you? Most of you, if you grew up in a family like that, you were not around your father. The statistics for growing up in a fatherless home means an increase of crime, an increase of low self-esteem, an increase of lower ability in school. All of this, and it's just so natural to us now. You wouldn't even think twice now about living, or say somebody on the streets, wouldn't even think twice about living with somebody before they're married. It just would come natural. How did we turn from a 91% rate of marriage of young adults in the early 1900s now to our lowest 20%. How did we lose 70% of an understanding of marriage? And then once again, you go to college, universities, you go to real smart people, and they're going to say, no, I think we're better off now. We need to, we need to shake off those commands of God. Why, why do we need to get married anyway? Why can't we have two or three wives? Why can't we have two or three husbands? Why can't we do polyamory? Two husbands, three wives, and all live together. Why do we need us? We, we just need to shake off that old way of doing things. STDs on the rise. One out of two college students will catch an STD because of that lifestyle. One out of two. AIDS is an epidemic right now that we've never seen before. It's gone away in the public, but the homosexual community is still at an alarmingly high rate passing this disease, and we don't want to bring it up, but yet we are seeing it doesn't work, not to mention with our families. Now, just think to yourself, what other things have turned? What other things have turned? How about Come on, baby, let's do the take me by my little hand and go like this. How about we turn now to Miley Cyrus, now twerking? How did that happen? 
How, how did it go from this, think about this, pop music, what children are looking up to. How did it go from Chuck Berry just going like this to a woman dropping it like it's hot? And it's just, we, we're, we're disgusted. We're a little bit turned off. But it's like a train wreck. We, we, we can't look away. We, we got to keep watching it. And now we, we, the entertainment industry has got to take it to another level. It's got to take it to another level. Why, why have we turned in these ways? Values. How about at this point? Most people used to say, I believe in God. I, I believe that there's a creator. But now because we've taught people, no, we can explain, you know, in a, in a chemistry lab and biology that we've come from the goo through the zoo to you, that evolution explains everything. Now there's more and more people saying, well, if, if I don't need God to explain my existence, then I can live without a belief in God. Yet they never explain where life came from. They never explain where things came from at all, not just life, non-living things becoming living things, but the very existence of space, matter, and time. Yet we have a godless mindset now of many people that say, I don't need God. Why? Because I believe in science. You ever hear anybody say that? I don't believe in God. I believe in science. You know what I want to do when they say that? I want to take my Bible, hit them on the head with it, and say, who do you think developed the scientific method? Christians, Bacon, Sir Isaac Newton, have you ever heard of him? Wrote more about the Bible than he did about physics. What we have been taught now is God is over here, and he's a realm of faith and tooth fairies and, and Santa Claus and all of that, and then there's science over here. And if you say you believe in God, you're, you know, you're over here in the wacky place. You're in, you need to be locked up because you hear voices. That's how redonkulous. It's not even ridiculous. It's redonkulous. So what do we have? Look here. Pastor Chris, you ready? Because, brother, we, we're on Christmas time. You know that, right? We're on Christmas. Ain't nobody got anywhere to go right now. We're all hanging out. We're all shopping. We're all doing eggnog stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's just laid back in this month. I love it. Amen? Here it is, worldview. And I'm closing out with this. The bottom line is everybody here, you put on your worldview glasses every day, and you walk out in this world, and the way you see the world is based on your worldview. If you have a worldview that's based on the Bible, when you walk out in this world, you're going to see things differently. You're going to see people as fellow human beings. They're your neighbor, and they're made in the image of God. They're not animals. You see, we just had another shooting in Colorado. Well, what's the problem, media? Well, what's the problem? He's just acting like an animal. You ever watch Animal Planet? Are we sitting around having a visual about the antelope who just got eaten by the lion? I'm, I'm happy about that. You guys looking at me crazy. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you want that little bunny rabbit to get away from that eagle. And I'm like, swoop down and get that thing. <laughs> Pulls up that little rodent and flies away. And now the eagle will eat the rodent in its nest. And now we see the antelope. It's trying to run from the lion. But the lion can run 100 miles an hour. <laughs> that lion will eat... 20 pounds of meat a day until the carcass is gone, then the ravens will come and eat the bones. You know, and I'm just like sitting there going, yeah, because I'm like, that's, that's what animals do. Oh, but, but when we see a school shooting, why don't we, uh, Newtown, great, thank you guys, population control, we needed that. Thank you for killing off the children, right? We should, we, we, see, if we thought the way that the school books teach us, we would think just like Nazi Germany. And if we're not, why not? 
Oh, no, I, I don't think we should hurt anybody. You see, I don't believe in God, but when I put on my worldview, my worldview is just do what's right for yourself as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. So that's how I look at life. Oh, okay. Well, what if hurting you is right for me? Well, I don't think you should do that. Well, now we got two competing com uh, opinions. One says, I like to hurt people because that's right for me. You say, I don't like to hurt people. That's not right for me. How do we know who's right now? Who's right? Might becomes right. The one who wins. The government that gets enough people carrying the guns. That's who wins. Might becomes right. Unless you come down to a standard. See, when we went into World War II, we had no idea what was going on in those boxcars. Most of the people didn't even know. But when we saw the Holocaust, it was one of the greatest uh, acts of horror in human history. But as we went back and studied, we understood how did that horror happen? It was because they taught people Jews were not people. Why are school shootings happening? They don't care about people. Someone doesn't look at the world the same way. Why do people, you see, here's the thing. We say, oh, well, evolution, it doesn't really hurt anybody. What if you teach the businessman evolution? What if you teach the politician evolution? What are they going to think? Survival of the fittest. If I can get over on you, if I can take away your life savings, if I can cor corrupt this business like Enron and bring the whole thing down, yet I get more at the end of the day, I win, you lose. Tough luck, sucker. Hey, who's going to stop them? See, what says right is right and wrong is wrong? Y'all getting scared right now. You should. Because if people don't have a biblical worldview, they're going to put on something. The other worldview that we're competing with today is a secular worldview. Pastor Chris, would you come, please, as he preaches? Let's give it up for Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris, talk for the next hour, man. Make it rain in this place. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, Pastor Joe, thank you for that. Um, and what Pastor Joe was saying is, is really on point in our culture today. And I, I really want to try to explain this the best I can in the, the amount of time that I have. Usually I, I'm used to 20 minutes uh, going on Sunday nights, uh, down from an hour, hour and a half at Wicker Park uh, before April of this year. So I'm, I'm maybe, hopefully I can go for the next hour. So just... This is my Wicked Park peeps. Just, you know, if I say something good, just say amen, hallelujah, okay? Just give me out fire, all right? Thank you. And like Pastor Joe said, our competing worldview is secularism, okay, which includes naturalism, atheism. But there's another worldview that I want to present to you today, and that's Christian apathy. I believe that one of the two greatest competing uh, philosophies or worldviews is atheism, secularism, and Christian apathy, the enemy to the Christian faith. And why is that? Well, please go with me to Matthew 24, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 12. Let me give you a quick definition of apathy. And by the way, if you want to uh, learn more about this and, and, and see what else there, there is and explain maybe a different way, you can uh, go to the blog on our website. Pastor Joe actually wrote on standing against Christian apathy. And that's what I'm talking to you today about. If you want to see where, you know, where this idea came from, because Pastor Joe asked me to, to, to give a word and and he said, stay within the theme. And 
immediately I went over what he has already written and the, the themes and ideas that he came up with. And one, and this stood out to me is because I actually deal with apathy. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But apathy means lack of care, emotion, and concern for certain things in life. Now, actually, when you, when you break down the word apathy, a meaning the opposite, pathy meaning emotion, or and, and another, another way of, of um, translating that is also suffering. So the doesn't, and doesn't mean like the opposite of suffering, but it's the lack of care of emotion of suffering. I'm not talking about maybe pain and, and um, being hurt emotionally or physically, but it's actually the idea of not wanting to go through something that you would suffer. I mean, it could be physical pain and emotional hurt. But it could also be not wanting to do something out of laziness because you, you don't care. You don't want to stand up for certain things because maybe they will, uh, it won't look good in your society at school. It, people will talk about you. People will uh, try to hurt you emotionally. So you don't want to deal with it. That's the thing. The apathy is, I don't want to deal with it now. I don't care. You guys hear that, that joke? about ignorance and apathy. A student, uh, a, a teacher was talking about ignorance and apathy, and then one student said to the other, what is ignorance and apathy? The student that was going to respond, you know, he wanted the discussion or the, the lecture to be over with, so he's like, I don't know and I don't care. I don't care. I don't know. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to do my own thing. And so in Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus is given various cues or clues to the end time. And he says, verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. He says, because of the increase of wickedness. Now, you know, Pastor Joe pointed out in the introduction that back in the 1950s, doing the twist was very innocent to our eyes today. And back then as well. But now we see Miley Cyrus twerking and we see Beyonce half naked on the stage. And to, to Christians, hopefully we see that as, as a bad sign of where our culture and society is going. But to other Christians, it's the apathy. It's the apathy behind it. We're like, oh, I don't care about that because I'm not in it. Because I'm not going to the concerts, then it, 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 it's okay. Let our society do what it does. Let it go where it will go. Uh, apathy has become like an epidemic in the church today. Many, many people do not realize that the problems they are facing are a direct result of apathy. Direct result. Married couples, when you're at home, you pay attention to your spouse. Or is it the, the indifference about what they're saying or about what they feel makes no difference to you? It can ruin the relationship. It can ruin the marriage. Students, teenagers, when you're asked to do a, a assignments and turn them in on time, do you have lack of care and emotion? Oh, I don't care about my grade. <laughs> that was me in high school. I didn't get on the honor roll until... Uh, until junior year of high school. I didn't care. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to rest. 
And I want to give you guys a quote real quick. It's by Helen Keller. How many know who Helen Keller is? Very well known. I'm not sure if she was Christian or not, but here's what she says in regards to apathy. We have found a cure for most evils, but it has found no remedy for the worst of them all, the apathy of human beings. The Nazi regime, apathy towards life, apathy towards the Jews, with Stalin, Mussolini, apathy towards the care of their own people, of their own citizens, treat them horribly, kill them. And we, we see this, we see this today also in, in the news. How many of you watch the news every now and then? I still watch the news every day. And then I became apathetic towards it. And there's a theory of communication. Uh, this, uh, this guy, Paul Lazarusfeld, came up with this. He wrote an article on mass communication. And he, here's a theory that refers to a social consequence of mass media. The consequence of people being inundated, quote-unquote, with news about, about society, what's going on. The theory claims that as news inundates people, as we receive just the news upon news upon news, here in Chicago, shooting after shooting after shooting, as news inundates people, people become apathetic to it, substituting action on that issue for knowing about it. I mean, you heard the news. I mean, how many of you have stood, stood up for, uh, for the shootings here in Chicago? How many of you have heard about the shootings in Chicago? We've all heard about it, but how many of us have done something about it? Whether speak out about it or try to uh, protest about it or pray for them. How many of you prayed for Chicago and the shootings? Really, really, honestly. I have, but then I stopped. Why? Because more news came about something else. Another shooting in the state of Colorado. And as I was thinking about this, I began to realize that that everyone has apathy. And the question is not whether you have it or not. The question is how much of it do you have? We all experience it one way or another to a low degree or high degree, whatever, but we experience it. But imagine if apathy was the main worldview of the prophets in the Bible, or even Jesus. What, how would the whole biblical history and story played out if Jesus was, if Jesus lacked concern for his sheep? If Jesus, the good shepherd, lacked concern and care for his sheep? If Paul, if the Apostle Paul was apathetic, not concerned, didn't want to deal with the people in the Corinthian church or misusing the spiritual gifts, we would not have some instruction on how to worship, right? Or the Apostle Paul writing letters to encourage believers. We would not have that. Moses, if he was apathetic about dealing with the complaining Israelites, 
if he didn't deal with them rightly through God, and how would that have played out? Abraham, if he was apathetic about interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, if he just like, oh, God, do your, your own thing, how many believers maybe or could have, if, you know, if God allowed God is a good God, but died in Sodom and Gomorrah if he didn't intercede for them? And if Jesus was apathetic towards the hurting and the dying. In Matthew chapter 9, if we can go there real quick, kind of want to paint this picture a little bit with Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, I believe. Verse 35 in chapter 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, if Jesus didn't see how helpless they were, he said he saw the crowds and had compassion on them. Imagine if, if apathy was the worldview, especially the writer of, of, of Matthew. Imagine if it said Jesus had apathy towards them. <laughs> how would that have played out? Would Jesus be the Jesus who we know today? And so with kind of painting that picture, now I want to take you guys to the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai. Now let me give you some background to, to Haggai. It was, it was written around, it was a prophecy going through the prophet Haggai from God, and it was it was given around 586 B.C. Let me get there real quick. This is one of the shortest books of uh, the Bible and of the Old Testament. Just only two chapters. So 586, the, the Jews that were taken into captivity by, uh, by Babylon they were released by King Cyrus. King Cyrus said, hey, you guys can go back to your homelands, wherever you came from. And then Cyrus also said, you, you can rebuild the temple. I give you permission when you go back to rebuild the temple. So about 50,000 or so Jews go back to their homelands. And then they start the rebuilding process of the temple. Because previously the temple had been destroyed. And they were in captivity for 70 years. Well, that was 586. That's, that's the time that they, they went into captivity. So now about five, uh, 516, 520, then these prophecies start coming through. They start rebuilding the temple. They rebuild it, or just the foundation. And then all of a sudden, the, the Jews that weren't taken into captivity had intermarried with, uh, with the Gentiles in that land, and then now they were the Samaritans in the area of Samaria. And so they offered to help rebuild the temple. 
But the Jews out of captivity were like, no, we don't need your help. You guys are half-breeds. You guys are nothing to us. And then so they're like, okay. And then they started writing the authorities. They're like, hey, these Jews are out of it. They're out of their minds. You, you know, help, uh, help us stop this rebuilding. And so the, the king issued a decree and said, you, got, you guys have to stop rebuilding. You know, these Samaritans are going to protest or whatever. And so the, the, for 14 years, the Jews stood by without attempting to, uh, to overturn that decree and start rebuilding the temple. Now, the temple was everything to the Jews, if you know the history. They had to worship there. They had to sacrifice there. They had to do all these ceremonies and rituals there at the temple. But there was no temple. And for 14 years, they were apathetic, lack concern for the rebuilding. But yet they were still trying to worship there. They were still trying to sacrifice and do all these ceremonies and festivals around the temple. But they could not do it according to, what, according to God's law perfectly because the temple was not there. So for 14 years. And so, but here we get some insight from the Lord on this. In verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, uh, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people say, the time is not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Can you believe that? The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. What? You, you're not worshiping right. You're not sacrificing right. You're not doing things right because of your apathy. Because of your laziness. Then, verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Let me give you one of the first evidences of spiritual apathy. One, neglecting God's work. When you start seeing yourself desiring other things than doing the will of God, that is the first sign of apathy. How many times have, have you stood by and said, man, all these guys are going out evangelizing, but... And I really want to go home and, and watch the football games today. Because uh, the, all these people are going out, so I don't need to go out. Has not God commanded you to preach the gospel? But no, football takes precedence, right? Football is your priority. Let other people do the job. I'm sure that was probably the mindset of, of at least one of the Jews at that time. Oh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm a younger guy. I'm not going to you know, try to get all political and try to turn this decree around so we can start building up. It's just not my thing. And so your apathy has led to laziness. Your apathy has led to inaction and neglect of God's word. The people of Haggai's day knew they had to rebuild a temple, but for several reasons, neglected doing so. Likewise, we often neglect God's command to preach the gospel. Now, the temple represents so many things sim symbolically. One is... It's the house of God, the presence of God. And two, it's the house of God where new believers can come and worship and current believers, present believers can get 
built up in the Lord. And so now I want to encourage you with this. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, I mean, we had this as our memory verse here, or our, our, our uh, verse here before reciting over and over again. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added. Let me give you the second spiritual thing, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to tie into that verse. Second evidence of spiritual apathy is contentment. Some of you are probably thinking back to what Paul said. I, I am content in every situation. Yes, we should very well be content in every situation, not complain and argue about things. But oftentimes, contentment is apathy in disguise. Why? Because you, you lack concern for things that are going wrong in your life. You're content about it. You're content about, about babies being aborted. You're content about marriage being destroyed by the homosexual agenda. You're content about the shootings here in Chicago. The Jews of Haggai's day became content with how things began to be. When we see certain things began, began to be, begin to be consistent, we say, oh, that's just how things are. That, that, that's just normal in our society. Well, no, it's not normal if you know the word of God. We know marriage is between a man and a woman. Babies should not die. Contentment can be apathy in disguise. We must continually seek out the best and the excellence for the kingdom of God and, and not settle for anything less. If you see something out of place, if you see, oh, someone should go talk to this person about Jesus, why can't it be you? Why can't we stand up against lack of concern for things in the kingdom of God? Number three, the third evidence of spiritual apathy is excuses for inaction. We make excuses, point blank. We make excuses all the time. The, the Jews of Haggai's day, the people made the excuse, it's not yet time to build a house of God. Why? They had to build their own homes and family and work the land harder because of the drought and scarcity of things. You read on in Haggai, I encourage you to read the rest of the, the book at home. The Lord brought a drought to the land because they weren't finishing the temple. 14 years they stood by and didn't do anything. And so they're like, it's still not yet time because I have to work on my family, build my house. We just came from captivity 70 years. Let's, let's build my family, build my house. And then they made the excuse, oh, we have to work harder on the land because there's a drought. So they made these excuses for themselves. And how many of us do that today? Oh, I can't come to church today because I have to work. Well, why are you working on Sundays? Like, work out the schedule, right? I mean, we make excuses, and they're not justified. How many, how many of us make the excuse that, oh, I, I can't come, I, I can't do this, I can't be a part of this certain ministry because I, I already have something else to do, whether it's, you know, watch football, whatever, put that excuse in there that, that you have made before. Whatever the excuse is, it is not justified.
Now, I really want to get personal here with my own life. Um, for those of you who have known me for, for many years, you, you might have seen this from time to time. I, I deal with apathy. I've neglected God's work in my own life. I've been content and apathetic about pursuing God's best for my life, my ministry. And I've made excuses for my in inaction. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to stand up here and say that, you know, the excuses you make, even though however unjustified they are, that they're not real excuses for you. When past five, in the past five years, I've been pursuing uh, God's call in my life. I've gone to Bible college, went throughout Bible college, got married, had a child, and all throughout this time, I, I barely had to work, like an actual job, because I love doing the ministry. The ministry is not a job to me. It's, it's my heart's desire to what I want to do for the rest of my life. But another responsibility is that, that I need to do and need to fulfill, I have to take a, a job, okay? And so when I started working full-time, and, you know, it, it's been, the last time I worked full-time was in 2008, so it's been about five years, five and a half years. Actually, 2009, so about four. Anyway. So in a long time, I haven't, had a schedule, a full-time schedule, where Monday through Friday I'm working, and then I have to add ministry onto onto that because I have to take care of my beautiful wife and my my beautiful son. And so when I started working full-time, you know, I, I thought I was ready for it. You know, I was I was excited, I was passionate about it. But then, as time went on, I started feeling the the pressure of it. Like God, you know, I I have a job, but it's not paying as much as I, I needed to, to be able to provide for my family. And so in that, I, I, felt, I felt discouraged, and I felt, I felt like I can't get past this unless I work even harder. So let me take some time away from ministry so I can focus on my family. And so I might not have taken the, the, the physical time away from the ministry, but I took my heart away a little. Now, I didn't neglect the ministry, but I took my focus away from God and what he wanted to do in my life. And I took that focus and I put it on my family. And then, um, and then as some of you know, I, I've, I've, I've missed several Sundays because of migraines. And over the past couple of months, my migraines have gotten worse. Now, praise God, right now, I haven't had a migraine in weeks. Uh, because I'm taking steps to it, and, and thank, thank God for Joe and Nancy, and <laughs> especially Nancy for just really pouring her heart out and, and, and just really through, through God saying, you, you need to you know, step up and not be apathetic about your health. I wasn't taking care of myself. Some of you know me for years. I, I've gained 50 pounds since I got married. <laughs> Literally, the weight went from my wife onto me. And because of that, I haven't been sleeping well. 
I, I've been more hot than usual. Um, I've been very lethargic and don't want to do anything. So because of that, now this excuse is not justified, but this is something I need to have concern for. This is something that I need to be active in. And so would you guys stand with me today? I want to give you three ways of how to overcome apathy. And these are the three ways that I had to apply to my life as well. Number one, fall in love with Jesus again. Revelations 2.4, Jesus said, you have forsaken your first love. Pastor Jerry talked about it earlier. You have, no matter what the excuse is, Maybe you're distracted or whatever. You have. We have no excuse for forsaking Jesus, the one who has given us life in the first place. We need to learn to love Jesus again because what is the opposite of apathy? Well, if you take it literally, it's pathy, right? <laughs> or it's the opposite of apathetic. Pathetic, right? What does that really mean? A lot of times we say, oh, you're just pathetic. Some guys might say that to another guy that's crying. But why is that guy crying? Because he's touched. He's touched in some way. And we need to learn to let ourselves be touched by Jesus. Only Jesus could change my heart. Only Jesus was able to give me passion again for we're worshiping him and seeking him. second way get active in the kingdom of God if you don't feel like evangelizing if you're feeling apathy towards evangelism you need to go out there and do it uh, for several weeks because I was I was training up some people in the um, in the encounter night life group I was training them up to and just giving them pointers and giving a word and stuff and being passionate and just helping them out, I was taking away time from evangelizing. And so the next time I went out, I was feeling really nervous. I was like, God, why am I so nervous for evangelizing? And it hit me. I was inactive in evangelism for several weeks. God, why am I not crying out for the lost anymore? Because you're apathetic towards them. First, if we do not fall in love with Jesus again, we'll never get his heart for his kingdom. We'll never get his heart for the lost. The third way, keep praying. Keep praying. Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, pray on every occasion with all types of prayers and supplication. How are you going to get passion? Same like, same way you get faith. You ask for it. You ask for it. Apathy will destroy your life. Imagine if I was apathetic right now. You wouldn't be hearing the word of God. God was apathetic right now. 
He would ignore your prayers today. He would ignore your desires. But let me tell you, God is a passionate God. God loves you so much. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands to Jesus. Hallelujah. workers come up here. And we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you because apathy can be very subtle. You may not recognize it in your own life. But we want to pray, and I want you guys to pray that God will reveal it. Reveal the areas of your life because I bet if you take a look at yourself right now and you see the areas that you are failing in, most likely it's because of apathy. Your prayer life hasn't been the same. It's because of your apathy. Your relationship is in decline because of apathy. And I bet if you show the opposite of apathy, passion, concerning, emotion towards these things in your life through the Holy Spirit will bring, bring increase and blessing in those areas and success. But you first need Jesus. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your passionate heart. We pray, God, that we will get and grasp your heart, God. So we can be passionate again for your kingdom, God, for our relationship with you. God, I pray, God, that apathy would be uprooted in our hearts. That we will stand against apathy, God. That we won't be apathetic about apathy. That we will stand against and be passionate against it, God. God, we praise you. We praise you, Lord. I'm going to release you in the count of three to come and get some prayer. One, two, three. Come and receive prayer.
Amen. Those who are praying, keep praying. We're going to dismiss, but we're going to welcome you to keep worshiping with us if you want. Father, thank you for today's service. Bless your people as they go about their ways. Let us all live for you, putting on the glasses of the, the Bible, the biblical worldview. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Let's bless them one more time. Come on.